our loving Heavenly Father, as we sit and stand before Thee transparent this morning, we want to pray that we would be blessed out of the reading of Your Word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're going to do something uh, a little bit different. Uh, In the last sermon uh, that I had that spoke... uh, about pitching our tents, I sort of want to follow up with the same geographic area in the life of Jacob. And uh, this morning we're going to be reading two chapters in the book of Genesis. And um, I'm, I want to leave you with a, a choice with this. So because we're going to be reading long portions of scripture and I'm, I'm going to have some commentary in between, uh, I would ask you to choose the best way that you think you're going to be able to follow along with the narrative this morning. If you want to read along with me and do that, that'd be fine. But sometimes I actually find that reading along with the person is almost a little bit more distracting than just listening to the reading of the word. Okay? So you decide this morning, as we're going to look into this, how you think you're going to be able to focus on the story best by listening or by reading along with me. Now, we're going to be in the 31st and the 32nd chapter of Genesis this morning. And um, before we uh, begin reading, I do want to uh, explain some things about this. We're going to be starting our story in the life of Jacob, where he flees from his father-in-law Laban and goes back uh, ultimately to the land of Canaan. So uh, just a few points here in setting this up to try to uh, make it clear um, how we got to this point. Uh, So Jacob had deceived his brother Esau. And in the aftermath of that, when his father Isaac had found out all about the deception and about the tension that was in the family, Isaac actually recommended that Jacob leave. Now, both Jacob and Esau had picked up that their dad, Isaac, was not very fond of the daughters of Canaan. The Bible doesn't tell us why, but Isaac had apparently a pretty strong view that he was not really impressed with the daughters of Canaan. He sent Jacob away and suggested that he go to his uncle Laban. Now, let's not over-spiritualize this. Laban and the background of Rebekah was not a godly background. Remember, we're in the beginning stories of people being brought to faith with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had periodic moments of insight as God spoke with them. And yes, they had family and kindred who they loved. In this case, I don't think that uh, Jacob had ever met his uncle Laban before. Um, But his father said, why don't you go? So I just want to get this right. It's not that he was sending Jacob away to marry necessarily godly women. In fact, we're going to find out that Laban, ethnically, I think we would regard today as being Syrian or maybe Turkish. Okay, so Laban did not have what we would think of as Jewish roots in him. He did not. 
okay? And Jacob goes to um, his uncle's house. So, you know, sometimes we forget these details, and this is one that I, I knew and I forgot. So do you, you realize that Leah and Rachel are Jacob's first cousins. The two women who he married were actually his first cousins. Okay, and uh, Jacob actually had, um, I would say, one really important event with God in his dream uh, of the latter um, that, of course, was in the aftermath of his guilty conscience as well of how he had deceived his brother. And we're going to find out now, even as we read part of this, and I wanted to maybe make this a little bit more clear, that Jacob's life and Jacob's family was really dysfunctional. Okay? Jacob was broken in many, many ways. And we're going to read that his offspring were also broken in many, many ways. And the reason why this is important, I think, for you and me, is that developing a relationship with God doesn't necessarily come out of our spiritual triumphs in life. Developing a relationship with God according to the merciful hand of the Father also comes from the broken stories in life. When God chooses to interact with us in some way that will bring us to a different relationship with him. So there are several events that happen here in Genesis 31 and 32 that we're going to be reading with each other of how God worked in the life of Jacob and specifically how God started to work through the brokenness of Jacob's life and partially the suffering, the suffering that Jacob had in his brokenness. Because we're going to find out as we go through this story that this is, this is a not a nice set of things that happened to Jacob. These had to be very stressful, painful things that happened in him one after the other in his life that were all aftermaths of either his deceit or continued deceit of the people that were around him. So I'm going to begin reading with 31, and periodically I'm just going to stop to make some commentary about things that I would like to draw your attention to, okay? So whether you read or whether you listen, whatever the best way is for you to follow an incredibly interesting narrative. So one more point that I wanted to make yet before I forget. We have the idea sometimes that Israel and the lands were very close to each other, and when they were sent someplace, they'd go three, four days. We don't have a real sense of distance. So Laban lived in this area of Haran, in between the rivers Tigris and Euphrates, that was also called um, Padan and Aran. And to just give you an idea of how far away this was, this is roughly 200 miles from Canaan, where Jacob started. So let me just track for you a little bit the path there. You go north along the whole length of Israel, narrow and long. 
you go north through the whole length of uh, Lebanon, narrow and long. You get into Syria, which is an odd-shaped country that from your point of view, so if here's the Mediterranean, Syria goes up into the northeast, and you go all the way up into that part of Syria, cross over what would be into modern-day Turkey, and there you get to Haran. We don't have ideas in our mind that people travel 200 miles in the normal events in life. And we're going to read in the story today that Jacob travels with his kindred those 200 miles back again in very short order as God instructed him to go back to the land of his kindred and after a horrible broken relationship with his uncle Laban. That relationship started, just want to get everybody to remember, that relationship started with Jacob and Laban hanging on each other's necks and weeping with each other when they found out that they were related and kindred. It started out with overwhelming joy of a connection that they had, and now we're going to find out that things really changed, and these other events happened in Jacob's life. Genesis 31. And he heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob hath taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, and go to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. And Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock. And he said unto them, I see your, your father's countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And ye know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me, and changed my wages ten times, and changed my wages ten times. But God suffered him not to hurt me. And he said thus, this is Laban now, he said thus, the speckled, the speckled shall be thy wages. Then all the cattle bear speckled. And if he said thus, the ringstrake shall be thy hire. Then bear all the cattle ringstraked. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass in that time that the cattle conceived that I lifted up mine eyes 
and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see. All the rams which leaped upon the cattle are ring-straked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointedst the pillar, and where thou vowedst a vow unto me. Now arise, get thee from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. And Rachel and Leah answered and said unto him, Is there yet any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not counted to him as strangers? For he hath sold us, and hath quite devoured also our money. Hath quite devoured also our money. For all the riches which God had taken from our father, that is ours, and our children's then now, Whatsoever God hath said unto thee, do. Then Jacob rose up and set his sons and wives upon camels. And he carried away all his cattle and all his goods which he had gotten. The cattle of his getting which he had gotten in Padan Aram. For to go to Isaac, his father in the land of Canaan. Now here comes another level of deception. And Laban went to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the images that were her father's. And Jacob stole away unawares to Laban the Syrian, and that he told him not that he fled. So he fled with all that he had, And he rose up, and he passed over the river, and he set his face toward the Mount of Gilead. Now I want to stop here for one moment and explain what just happened so that we understand that, okay? Rachel steals these things from her father that Jacob does not know about. These things that she stole from him, these kinds of idols, in that cultural time, Let's try to appreciate what these things were. They thought that they were things that brought good luck. They were things that were of money, of worth, and they were things that were ultimately contractual. When you would make a vow or a covenant with somebody, this would be like in lieu of currency of something that you might give to them. So these were not just trinkets, these were not pieces of wood of some kind that she just took from, you know, a drawer and took along with her. These were things actually of value in the currency of authority in the structure that she had taken from her father Laban. Now, did she do this out of jealousy? Because you caught what had happened here, right? Laban's wealth started going down. Whatever he had went to the boys. 
The girls, of course, were with, I, were with Jacob, but they also realized that there was no inheritance at all from their father's side that normally all of the children would have inherited. They're, they're going to get nothing from that. There's, there's nothing to be had, but they were also going to get nothing from it. So was this Rachel's way of getting even somehow? that she was going to snatch something of her father's possession to take with them along the way. Don't know exactly, but I want to point out that as we read in the story, we're not going to read it today, but as we read later, I told you a little sermon ago, under that great oak tree at Shechem, where uh, Rachel's maid died and where Jacob went and collected all of the idols and buried them under the tree. This is what we're talking about. These idols that he collected were not only pagan kinds of things, but they were also contraband of things that had been stolen. We're going to read later, Laban looks for these things, he can't find them. Rachel must have hid them someplace. But Jacob knows that he effectively has stolen goods in his possession from his kindred, that at some point in time, he realizes he's got to get rid of these things. They are bad for his family, and they're also symbols of deceit from his past, that he ultimately instructs them, collects all of these things, and buries them under the great oak tree at Shechem. The, this is the beginning of where this came from. So now we're going to continue with each other, I guess, at 22. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled. And he took his brethren with him, and he pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. Okay, now, I want to stop there for a minute to give you an appreciation for this distance. Jacob, with his kindred, has a three-day head start. Laban figures out that they clandestinely have left and taken off. He takes a band of his men, okay, let's call them warriors. These were not the nice guys, okay? He took a band, and he traveled seven days before he caught up with them. In Gilead. Now, if you're going to track on the map where that is, Gilead would have been now in like northern Israel, not quite in Lebanon. But I want you to appreciate the fact that in those 10 days, Jacob and his clan has traveled 150 miles. Here to Buffalo. And Laban, very angry, very angry with what has happened, that Jacob took off with his daughters and everything, pursues these guys. Now, can you imagine, in seven days, at that point in time, they're racing 150 miles to ultimately catch up with Jacob and his clan. This is what just happened. Twenty-six. 
Uh, sorry, that's not true. Um, I guess we left off at 21. So I'm picking up here. Uh, well, I'm picking up at 22 again. I might be overlapping a bit. but. And it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob was fled, and he took his brethren with him and pursued after him seven days' journey, and they overtook him in the Mount Gilead. And God came to Laban the Syrian. God comes to everyone. He comes to Laban the Syrian in a dream by night and said unto him, Take heed that thou speak not to Jacob either good or bad. Then Laban overtook Jacob. And now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mount, and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mount of Gilead. Now, you can just imagine at this point, after Laban chasing after Jacob, they see them coming. Okay, this is a threat to Jacob. This is a threat, okay? This is not a happy meeting that's happening right now. This is a confrontation, and who knows what's going to happen next in this confrontation. And we find here that Jacob has fear in this because he comes out and he tells him this. And Laban, 26, said to Jacob, What hast thou done that thou hast stolen away unawares to me and carried away my daughters as captives taken with the sword? Wherefore didst thou flee away secretly and steal away from me and didst not tell me that I might have sent thee away with mirth and with songs, with tabret and with harp and hast not suffered me to kiss my sons and my daughters that thou hast done foolishly in so doing. And it is in the power of my hand to do you hurt. But the God of your father spoke unto me, the God of your father spoke unto me yesternight, saying, Take heed that thou speakest not to Jacob, either good or bad. And now... Though thou wouldest needs be gone, because thou sore longest after thy father's house, yet wherefore hast thou stolen my goods? Okay, now Jacob is being accused of something that he doesn't even know happened. And I should mention that there is a level of dishonesty in what Lathan has already told him. He said, why didn't you tell me this so that I could say goodbye and kiss my daughters goodbye and I could have given you things? Do you really think that that's what Laban would have done? You really think that he wanted to wish him well? Deception, deception, deception. But Jacob apparently was known by his father's God. Laban did not refer to God as his God. He said, your God spoke to me. You notice that, right? Your God spoke to me last night and said, I better not hurt you. And Jacob answered and he said to Laban, I left because I was afraid. 
For I said, peradventure, thou wouldest take by force thy daughters from me. With whomsoever thou findest thy goods, let him not live. Before our brethren discern thou what is thine with me. And take it thee, for Jacob knew not that Rachel had stolen them. Okay, so you understand here, right? That Jacob has no idea this has happened. Okay, he gives his father-in-law permission to not only find the stuff, but in his, in his naiveness about what has happened, he said, you can take the life of whoever took this. Not knowing that his beloved dear Rachel had been the one that actually took it. Jacob is filled with fear. He sees these guys that are there. They're not nice. Anything could happen to him. He, he pro- this, was some, this was some compromise that he was giving, thinking that this story might even have been made up. And Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the two maidservants' tent, but he found them not. Then went he out to Leah's tent and entered into Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the images and put them in the camel's furniture and sat upon them. And Laban searched all the tents, but found them not. And she said unto her father, Let it not displease my lord, that I cannot rise up before thee, for the custom of women is upon me. And he searched, but found not the images. Okay, so without going into graphic detail, right? Deception of Rachel against her father. She's even making up some excuse about her monthly cycle having to do with the fact that she can't move and you better leave me alone. Okay, and Jacob was wroth now. He found not the images that he searched for. And now Jacob is furious because he was accused of this thing. They go and look everywhere and they don't come up with the goods. And now Jacob moves from having been afraid to having been angry at the accusations that were made against him. And Jacob was wroth, and he chode. He fought, argued with Laban. And Jacob answered, and he said unto Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued me? Just want to stop for a minute. I bet you didn't know that hot pursuit was in the King James Bible. You didn't know that, did you? Hot pursuit, right here. Whereas thou hast searched all my stuff, what hast thou found of all thy household stuff? Set it here before my brethren and thy brethren, that they may judge betwixt us both. This twenty years have I been with thee. Thy ewes and thy she-goats have not cast their young, and the rams of thy flock have I not eaten. That which was torn of beasts I brought not unto thee. I bear the loss of it. Of my hand didst thou require it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was, in the land of the drought consumed me, and the frost by night, and my sleep departed from mine eyes. Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I have served thee fourteen for thy two daughters, and six years for thy cattle, and thou hast changed my wages ten times." 
except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely thou hadst sent me away now empty. God hath seen mine affliction and the labors of my hand and rebuked thee yesternight. Now we find a small section here of an agreeable part to this after this great tension and they make a vow with each other and effectively uh, part ways, at least not in ferocious terms, but in human terms. So Laban answered and he said unto Jacob, these daughters are my daughters and these children are my children and these cattle are my cattle and all that thou seest is mine. And what can I do this day unto thee these my daughters, or unto their children which have born, they have born. Now therefore come now, and let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone, and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said to his brethren, Gather stones, and they took stones, and made a heap, and they did eat there upon the heap. And Laban called it, Jagar, Sahedoth, Saharatha, I guess, something like that. But Jacob called it Gilead. And Laban said, This heap is a witness between me and thee this day. Therefore was the name of it called Gilead. And Mitzpah, for he said, The Lord watched between me and thee, and when we were absent from one another, when we are absent from one another. If thou shalt afflict my daughters, or if thou shalt take other wives beside my daughters, no man is with us. See, God is witness betwixt me and thee. And Laban said to Jacob, Behold this heap, and behold this pillar, which I have cast betwixt me and thee. This heap be witness, and this pillar be witness. I will not pass over this heap to thee, and thou shalt not pass over this heap, and this pillar unto me for harm." And the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor and the God of their father judge betwixt us and Jacob swear by the fear of his father Isaac. And then Jacob offered sacrifices upon the mount and called his brethren to eat bread. And they did eat bread and they tarried all night in the mount. And early in the morning, Laban rose up and kissed his sons and his daughters and blessed them, and Laban departed and returned unto his place. Okay, so now we're getting into 32. And this happened immediately after this, okay? They're already in Israel, on their way now toward the land of Isaac. And Jacob, of course, knows that there's going to be another confrontation, probably with his brother Esau. Now, all these events that he just went through, I can only imagine that this was incredibly stressful. This is incredibly stressful of all the things that have happened. And we're going to read with each other. There's hardly a pause. And we actually get into the next distressful moment for Jacob and for his clan. Again, still not knowing that the accusations of Laban had actually been true. And God brought this about in some miraculous way. 
that Laban even recognized the harm ultimately that he had done toward Jacob. And I think his guilty conscience played into the fact that he was willing to let Jacob go the way he did. And effectively, Laban goes back to Haran empty-handed. That's how God acts even into the brokenness of Jacob's life. Now Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim. And Jacob now immediately sends messengers before him to Esau, his brothers, and to the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So let's get this right. Within, at this point, they're only maybe 40 miles away. Only 40 miles from where this whole thing had started. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau. Thy servant Jacob saith, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen and asses, flocks and men servants and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I might find grace in thy sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, We came to thy brother Esau and also he cometh to meet thee. And 400 men are coming along with him. And then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And he comes up with a scheme, and how horrible is this scheme? And he divides the people that was with him, and the flocks and the herds and the camels, into two bands. And he says, If Esau come to the one company and smite them, then the other company which is left shall escape. Now can you appreciate by doing something like that the next terror that Jacob was in? Dividing up all that he has and realizing that the chances are good that his brother is going to slaughter one half of what he has and just desperately hoping that the other half is going to somehow be able to get away. Now, can you imagine being faced with that kind of a life choice? And all because of the deceit of what he had done to his brother. He knew he had it coming to him. He knew. Eleven. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou sayest, I will truly do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea. So I'm sorry if I didn't, um, I, I might have missed a verse here. 
Um, let, let me just pick up. I guess that's what happens when I break off and then come back. <clears throat> I guess I have to start with eight. I'm sorry. So he's talking to God here. If it's not clear, he's talking to God in all this. I'm not worthy of the least of these mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I became two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother and from the hand of Esau. For I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou sayest, I will truly do thee good and make thy seed of the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there the same night, and he took of that which came to his hand to present for Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty kine and ten bulls, twenty she-asses and ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves. And he said unto his servants, Pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee, then thou shalt say, They be my servant Jacob's. It is a present unto thee, unto my lord Esau, and behold, also he is behind us. And so commanded he the second and the third, and all that followed the droves, saying, On this manner shall ye speak to Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the presence that goeth before me. And afterward will I see his face, peradventure he will accept me. So Jacob sets this into motion. I can't only imagine what the space is between these different droves that are going there to meet Esau one-on-one, to somehow try to make peace with him. And in this tense moment of not knowing now what is going to happen, have you caught this in the scripture before? In this moment, now we read with each other in 21, so went the present over before him and himself lodged that night in the company. And now in that moment, we read, and he rose up the night and he took his two wives and his two women servants and his 11 sons and passed over the ford Jabbok and he took them and he sent them over the brook and sent over that he had, and Jacob left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. So we have, again, this very desperate moment with Jacob taking his wife and sending them one place, and in the middle of waiting of what's going to happen, Jacob remembering what God had promised him, and yet realizing the great deceit that he had done with his brother, he seeks a moment to find God in this dream. 
and wrestles with God about, is it really even true, God, in the brokenness of my life, even in the middle of this, that your promise to me will be true? And we see this unique event with each other of Jacob really wrestling and doubting. Am I really blessed? Is God really going to bless me? That these subconscious thoughts come out in this dream that we read with each other of Jacob wrestling with the angels. And he's so desperate for God's blessing. And he's so desperate in this moment of what's going to happen next after he just avoided the last thing that could have been the end of it all. And in this moment, he finds, tries to find God. And in his brokenness, God meets him in that moment. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hallow of his thigh, and the hallow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint, and he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And he passed over Peniel, the son upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew with shrank, which is upon the hallow of the thigh, for unto this day because he touched the hallow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. This is an epic story that would go on and on. We obviously don't have the time for that now. But I want you to walk away from this really thinking about when God is committed to the life of a soul, even in the brokenness of the choices that we make, God wants to meet somebody there. And we learn things about God and we develop in our relationship with God, not always because of our victories. We develop our relationship with God at moments that we're willing to learn and moments that God puts us in a place where he can speak to us and we will listen. And we need sometimes to really understand the failures that we have made in life and the places that we are that we could have been in better pasture. But it's in that moment, nevertheless, that God meets us in our need. And God even will, will raise us to the point of, of giving us a different name to share with us of his great care and his, his desire to foster a relationship with him deeper and further on. I want to close by leaving you with this point. Jacob's experience, first at Bethel, of the dream of the ladder, 
in some ways was kind of like a conversion for Jacob. It was the first big pillar in the ground, the stake in the ground of the beginning of his relationship with God that he would come back to upon occasion as really being historic in his life. It was not the only great relationship that he had with God. It might not even have been the deepest relationship he had with God, but it was the first relationship that he had with God that ultimately set his course in life for God interacting with him, his wives, his kindred, his cattle, his flocks, all that he had as God wanted to work through him. God continued to bless Israel. Through great pain, he continued to bless Israel. Through great calamity, as you would read on in the story, in the story he continued to bless Israel. It's not a story of roses. It's not a story of fine eating and the good things of life. But it's a story of the faithfulness of God to those that he has called by their name. And the fact ultimately that God is just like the lamb that he's willing to go, leave the 99 and go for. We see so much in the life of Jacob. God is willing to go to extreme lengths to goad and shepherd Jacob into a deeper, more meaningful relationship with him. And ultimately, ultimately to really bring Jacob to faith. Really bring him to faith. In a God that will orchestrate all the things of our life according to his purpose. When our wages have been reduced ten times. When we've been cheated out of our things, but God through miraculous ways will bring about other abundance in life. From nothing he will bring out abundance. According to his goodness to those that he calls by name. 